This podcast is presented by Rabbi Parrots Munchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rabbi Parrots podcast. This is a 40th birthday edition. Uh, super pumped to bring into my uh, podcast metaverse. Uh, Dave Marglin, my friend, neighbor, community member, partner, so many things to get to about this relationship. Um, I think there are so many elements of my relationship with you that inspire me to get others to have relationships with people that maybe off the cuff wouldn't happen. So first off, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. Um, I feel very welcome. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mitzvah to be celebrating uh, and in honor of your 40th now soon to be 41st year on the planet here. Thank you. I, I, I remember your 40th birthday because that was going on in the, in Taylor street when I was there and yeah, uh, yeah, it was a special, special time. So I, I would like to say sometimes you, you believe in like serendipity or synchronicity, but then it stares you in the face and you can't avoid it. And I always believed, and no matter what Dave responds to this was that if I didn't live on his floor next to him, uh, and the way we did, we would have never become as close. Even if I was in another floor in the building, there was something about sharing the elevator, my kids coming out and, and him going out and us constantly seeing each other that created the type of friendship and relationship that I'm very grateful for. Yeah, let, let's back that up. When you moved here in 2006, I have the letter uh, over here announcing you're becoming the building manager. You didn't live on the floor. Uh, right. It was only subsequently that you moved up. And I'm not going to say that we weren't, close i mean the big thing was after this criminal building manager that we had had before in comes the very opposite of a criminal a holy and wise man and also you <laughs> one and the same and <laughs> you're uh, anyways no that you you are yeah. a holy and wise man come to like so replacing the darkness with the light of you and i was I was first of all like, wow, what, I mean, just what are the odds that into my building is going to move as the manager, uh, a wonderful Rebbe with his family and wife and a whole community uh, already established almost, uh, maybe nascent, maybe small, but still a community. And now you've moved into my building. And then lo and behold, like the, not through events, but you get moved up. To the apartment across the way becomes vacant and you somehow convince the building that that's really the place for me. You, I mean, it wasn't like I had any choice in the matter. You're like, yep. I'm taking the apartment. So when I opened my door, right, you were across the hall. That was where you started. Yeah, yeah? that's right. That's right. And then eventually, wh why was it? I don't even remember, but you moved down the hall. Like, why what? did you move from across the hall to down the hall? Did they say that was only... No, the, to be honest, the down the hall apartment was the biggest one in the building. The way the building is structured uh, from the outside, it's a square. But on the inside, there's it's off of one of the great hills in San Francisco. So the building apartments actually get smaller on that side. But on the top floor, the fourth and fifth floor, the units are like a few feet wider. And I just wanted that extra space for hosting and for oh, literally wow. I was, I was grabbing inches there. So I took it. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I never would have, imagined. I've obviously been in your apartment. I've been in my neighbor's apartments and I never realized that I, was, I have the view. I have the view. That's right. Baby. So, so I'm, so anyways, 
a serendipity, fate, kismet, bina itself right, is represented in you having moved into this building. And then, you know, it, it wasn't just that you were in the building and, and you just started a family. You just had your first son, uh, second son or soon to arrive. Um, it wasn't just that you had a family and a community and you're uh, a man of God and a rabbi and a wise and holy man, but it was also that you expressed an interest in doing some ritual with me. You're like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I think we should do a Hanukkah thing. And you were like, I think we should do a Hanukkah thing. And we you were very much on the same thing. page. Right. And you were also at that moment wanting to be, let's say, less involved with uh, Rabbi Joe's seminal Hanukkah thing that is the first menorah, public menorah lighting, I think, anywhere in the country, I think might be the, the first like civically supported public menorah lighting down in Union Square that your father-in-law did. Yeah. And you wanted to do your own thing that was like that, but not that. And in the interim, we sort of came up with the idea of we'll take one of the nights and we'll celebrate Hanukkah in those days in my apartment, inviting my friends and including inviting a certain number of people who are not uh, MOT, not Meshpukka necessarily. Although they're Meshpukka, but not necessarily members of the tribe, not necessarily Jewish. So we would have some combination of people who were new to it. And that, that's expressed, you know, in a Pesach, where we invite strangers to the table with the other holiday other than Shabbat that you really focus on the home and doing inside the home as opposed to doing in a synagogue or a temple or in some larger format where the whole world is invited, essentially. Here, it's you're in your home, but there's kind of a public-facing aspect where you're meant to share it with other people including those not of our faith, right? Or not necessarily of our faith. Well, I, I'll tell you for sure with Hanukkah, Hanukkah is all about like your light by the window, right? It's by the door. It's about that light right. going to the outside. And the truth is, is that probably Jews for centuries couldn't really like have any bravado with the menorah. But so I'm saying, yeah. yeah. So San Francisco being like one of the origins of like the modern outdoor menorah is certainly in the, in the, there was one public menorah lighting before it, but this was the this came out with a vengeance. The Bill Graham menorah. It had yeah, a right. it had a name. It was had a famous person backing it. There was a lot of beauty yeah. there, and yeah. uh, and I felt like this is the holiday for me to really connect with people locally because I, I really thought about it. Like, am I going to ask Dave to bring his friends to Rosh Hashanah? He may come. But I don't think he's bringing people in droves, although he has. I will say he's brought people I have, to I have everything. Brought people. He brought I people brought to everything, people. no doubt. Yeah. But Hanukkah has like a special spice of where we could showcase maybe some of the best parts of Judaism, the spirituality, the connection, and in a setting that is really like inviting. And uh, you were a masterful host in uh, making that happen. And I will say not just your party, it was amazing for years. It inspired me to do many parties at many people's homes on that. I always gave you the choiciest night. There was no question about that. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, we, 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 we thought it out before. And, and just to give your, uh, your viewership a full sense of it, we started with maybe, so in like, like, I think 2000, uh, late, late 2007, would have been our first one. You moved into the building in 2006. Six, yeah. And we, and I think we started in 2007 with a very small one, 15 or 20 people. 
I, I, that's my recollection. And I was supporting Barack Obama, which is big because everyone thought it was going to be Hillary Clinton in 2008. But this is the moment when Barack Obama was coming out the people's radar screens. He just announced. And uh, I had a lot of weight behind Barack Obama. Um, I was a precinct captain, et cetera. So in, in a way, it was for me a very political moment. Uh, I was very excited to host these parties. Um, we had champagne and wine flowing. Uh, a couple of them we did as kosher because you you catered. But we basically, from 2007 to about 2011, 2012, did them in the building unless I was elsewhere. If I was some traveling, which a couple times, there were a couple times when I'm like, one time I think I had to go to Kiev and so I couldn't be here. So I think I, we missed one. But other than that, and these parties kept getting bigger. The only time the police have ever been in the building <laughs> was, you know, we were making so much noise on the deck because so many people had to go out onto the deck. And we also had the big menorah out on the deck, as you say, right. not, not in this case, in the window, outside for the whole world to see. And the lady across the street called and complained. And you invited the cop. You, I sent you down as the manager when the cops came to the front door down below. And you went down and brought the cop back up to offer them jelly donuts. Which <laughs> just got such a kick out of like, hey, the cops like donuts. And that is the only time other than to maybe like investigate a, like a theft or something that the police have ever been in this building that I know of. Certainly the only time they've ever been at my door. Um, and that party grew in its last year. I don't know if you remember. In this last year here in the building, it was you in the apartment down the hall, uh, whoever the neighbor is in the studio who said, cool, we can use the whole hallway. The apartment across the way that you had lived in was vacant, but you being the manager had the keys, so as long as we didn't <laughs> mess it up. We so we had, and we had more than 100 people between my apartment, your apartment, the hallway, uh, and and the apartment across the hall, and it became so crowded that my friend and neighbor, a wonderful Catholic uh, lad named Matthew Stefka, said, "Hey man, I've got a triplex, you know, door duplex with a roof, a full roof, um, and a hot tub and everything else. You can do you can do mikvah as long That's as right. you with your mitzvah." Um, and uh, and he was like, "You got to have that party at, at my place." And the party then took a sizable jump from a hundred or more. I didn't count, but back then I, I invited people and then people brought people and there was no guest list and the thing. Then we started to make a better invitation that required being in advance. So knowing and picking the night and that would not be step opening his house up. Now we had hundreds of people, literally hundreds coming all evening long and with you i don't i'm not officiating is the right word yeah like, just what you, you know I, I i look at it like i was uh i was there to to keep the party aligned with the hanukkah right so like you every hour just like zoning everybody into what's going on like what's the subliminal messaging and energy of the night and we put in so much thought, to be honest, into that. You and I always, yeah, for months yeah. before, talking about the night, its significance, yeah. what it means, what the energy should be like. So uh, I could just say, like, leading, uh, you know, the spiritual element of it, 
Uh, Meeting the spiritual element. And here it, it bears repeating for people that Hanukkah is one of the few things. Normally, when you light candles in Judaism, uh, you light them once for Shabbat or whatever else it might be. And then that is it. You do not light the candles again. The candle lighting is over. It's done. Right. Hanukkah, not only is it allowed, it's actually in a way encouraged by the forward facing, the notion that you are going to light the candles. Now, there's one big rule here. You can't put the candles out because the whole <laughs> miracle, right, is that the lights never went out. So you, you don't light those Hanukkah candles, folks, if you're going to be going out to dinner and burn your place to the ground or don't think you're like you're going to be extinguishing those candles. So we had this built-in natural time frame, if you will. I use the time frame is we all come together. We set up 10 or however many menorahs. We light with a with with you me doing a speech, a talk to introduce you and talking to the people about what this night means to me and doing it differently each time, then passing it to you. Then we you do your thing. Then these people come together, they light the candles, and then in this time frame, the party now has a natural flow as everyone marvels and comes together and stops what they were doing and they light the candles. And then the candles have to burn. Yep. Right? And then the candles burn down. And at some point, you either just take the initiative or I say to you, I think we're ready to go again. And we reload the candles and we celebrate the miracle all over again, but never the same way twice. The prayers are the same, but the introduction, that grouping of people, it's like a Greek philosophy. You know, you never step in the same menorah twice. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Well, and, uh, I, I think I think so many people listening to this could literally uh, just add this to their Hanukkah parties. Every every let's say our candles are like forty five minutes an hour candles that we use. Yeah. So yeah. it was like every hour or so we just lit yeah, like and with the new people that came and just added another layer to the spirituality and to the connection. I, yeah, yeah, and my goal my my goal was always if, if it was like the fifth night of Hanukkah, which it often wound up being or whatever, because we didn't want to do it. We didn't want to do it on a Friday night. It's always a Friday night because Friday night, how many times can you light the Hanukkah candles on Friday night? Just once for sh- right before Shabbat. Comes one, one, once, one time, and then you're done, <laughs> right? You have the Shabbat rule. Right. Um, Saturday, you can do it. You can wait till yeah, Saturday after Shabbat night. ends. That's right. And you're game on. But Saturday night was not a good night for the party because we didn't want to compete with whatever anybody's Saturday night was. I don't think we ever did one on Saturday night. We, we moved the night around. And now at Stepkins, we had a much more elaborate system of people telling us what their intention was. And we wanted to know everybody who was coming. And uh, a couple of years we had security. I and mean, that party got is over 200 people when it happens. And an amazing mixture of uh, Jewish people, people of all kinds of faiths coming together to celebrate the, the, both the holiday of Hanukkah the story of Hanukkah, the party aspect of coming together at this time of year. And it's that coming together with the intentionality. And then each hour or so coming together within the party to do this act, it's pretty simple. We're going to light some candles. We're going to talk about why we're doing it. And that just got the energy so going. And I can't wait to get back to that party. And it feels to me, that party feels to me a lot like other things that you and I have done together, flowing out of that, Burning Man, 
which is a coming together of a lot of people in the desert uh, to light things on fire. <laughs> you know, yep. they, they don't, they, they have a ritual and they're, you're, you're literally burning the man. In this case, we're, it should be burning menorah. We should just call it burning menorah, you know, burning That's- menorah. Hey, listen, I mean, it's the high holidays for the Burning Man community, Hanukkah. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's the last holiday into kind of the what the Greeks would call the pantheon of holidays. Right. It's sort of the yes. last big holiday that gets recognized. It's not even in, per se, the Bible. That is to say the type Bible. Right. It's the yeah. it's the it's in the, Talmud. Just, it's in the Talmud. And yeah. and. Most Jews wouldn't be able to make that, that parsing. Or I mean, I shouldn't say most. Many, many can make the parsing and are, are taught. But I think most, many casual people wouldn't understand that this is, that's one of the reasons why if it happens in temples, it's not, it's because temples are a community place and functioning as a community place there and not because they have a Torah. There's no, there's no Torah in, in Hanukkah. Really, yep. right? I mean, it's, it's extra touristical, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 but th- nonetheless, a powerful holiday. And I think Purim uh, seems to me uh, like similar. Uh, Pesach is definitely, you know, all about the Torah, the book of Exodus. Mm, excuse me, my voice. The Haggadah. The Haggadah. Um, and, and a certain kind of order to it, too, right? Uh, yeah. the Pesach is, there's a, certain rigidity to Pesach. Now people bust against that. Whereas Hanukkah, because it, the miracle is such a small miracle. I mean, there's no small miracle. That's the beauty of it. If, if it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And it doesn't matter what the size is of the miracle. It's a miracle. In this case, Hanukkah is the miracle that the anointed oil lasted throughout the duration of the siege, or it wasn't even the, the, the not even clear that it was a siege, right? The battle is raging on, so the people didn't feel comfortable coming out of the temple that they were in. Yeah, and I mean, they, it's, the it's, sacred oil made it for eight nights, and then they were able to merge to a victory. I mean, the key is that they didn't even we didn't even institute a celebration necessarily of the war of that miracle. We only instituted a ritual based around the ultimate idea, which is to get back to what we're here for, to bring a little light, to, to take the, our resources and maximize them to bringing, you know, you are the fuel here that lasts longer than you think you like ever, you all run out of energy and you're like, how can I persevere and get through this time? Well, you got a lot more than you think just to, to put one step forward, add a little light, create a little more good vibes and watch it really, you know, take over and last for the eight days, the transcendent, uh, uh, you know, uh, standard of time beyond the week, beyond, yeah. beyond nature. So it really does. And, and it just really has this message that I think really it's the last holiday because it's, and, and, but it's, it, it had its eyes centered on the most modern element, which is what happens post-war? Like, how do you put the pieces back together? Like, how do you really, you know, get from there onto the next stage? And, and that's really what it is that you, you yeah. put one foot forward, you like that, you like that oil and you see where it goes. I'm, I'm liking the fact that you're noting that it's not about the war. I'm just showing people the view out here so they get a oh, sense yeah. of what this is what this is where the deck where the where the menorah got lit. Um, uh, the, it's not about the war. It's about the people coming together to survive and to then set foot in a t- now in peace. Right. They, yep. In the synagogue with the holy oil 
for eight nights and there's a war going on out there. And then when they come out, the war has been is, is now over and you're celebrating, if you will, what comes next, right? So it's the, and it's the people coming together. And like I said, like Burning Man, the first while here, there's going to be a blank screen while I go out onto the deck, but you should still be able to hear me. Um, is the people coming together, right? To, to celebrate that, that we are still here. And now we are celebrating in a way, not only we're still here, but look at us, see us, <laughs> see the light that we have going on. And even the cops come on up and have a jelly donut, you know? And especially now when we have this war going on in Ukraine, where, you know, this is where my people are from, is from that Belarus, Ukraine, Poland region, yeah. which might not even have been its own country back then, you know? I'm like, there's a certain historical power to what's going on right now. And I'm so inspired by the people of Ukraine coming together. You know, they, they're, they're already thinking uh, under real warlike circumstances, not so much about the war, but how is it going to be, how are they going to keep fighting? And it's going to be a long time, a lot more than eight days before they're going to be able to come out and there's no war. You know I just, I, mean? uh, I, ju I, I, I posted a podcast uh, that I recorded earlier this week of, of someone in our community from San Francisco who is from Ukraine. And she just gave such an incredible message of like what uh, people are like there and how they're standing up. Like, could you imagine she's listening to high school students on international Twitter talking about standing up to tanks as they're coming into their town? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable. So, it's really it's very inspiring. Time. It's very inspiring. I mean, it's very sad, but it ties into what we're doing, which we, we celebrate this little miracle by bringing the people together and they come together and they're celebrating their lives in a way. And when they see the looks on the people's faces, you know, come back in. It's so nice outside. It's uh, like 67 degrees or something out here. Um, it's uh, I'm sorry I can't do the whole thing out here because there's so much ambient noise. I think it's probably better, probably better for me to come back in and, and close the door. Um, but the light still shines through both ways, and um, that coming together that's what I wanted to talk about today as well. In terms of uh, one Grateful Dead song, um, as you know, I'm one of the things I'm working on is creating a Grateful Dead podcast, Better Off Dead. And uh, my title is very cheeky for the podcast, Better Off Dead. It comes from a lyric of Casey Jones, take my advice, you'd be better off dead, which I always thought was kind of a uh, double entendre there. And <laughs> Casey Jones, it's, you'd, be better, you'd be better off dead uh, than what you're, what, you know, is, is kind of an uplifting thing, but it's also cheekily. You know, you're better off with the lifestyle of, the, of living a Grateful Dead-like life. And it's very uplifting in Casey Jones, the cheekiness in that song. It's uh, riding that train high on cocaine. Casey Jones, you better watch your speed. And uh, uh, it's a kind of an admonition to not go too fast. But that's not the song we're going to talk about today. The song well, that we are going to talk about. Yeah, I, I before we see we you get to that, I just want to mention that you know I didn't grow up really with um, secular music. I grew up with Hasidic sure. music and Chabad yeah. music, and uh, and but you know there's there's something about about the connection 
to the Grateful Dead that you brought me to that was about, uh, you know, thinking deeply about lyrics. And you brought me to my first Dead show. And yeah. uh, not, and, not uh, actual Grateful Dead, but, you know, whatever, whatever. Dead and Company. Yeah. Dead yeah, and Company. Yeah, I'm not. Close I'm not enough. Part, close, close enough. enough. That, that, you know, just to get a taste of uh, of it. And, and, and it ties into me, like um, some rabbis would ask me like, oh, how could you go to something like that? That's like, how's that part of the mission? And I like the part of the mission that I have in my life is supporting the people in my community. And, yes. and, and support is not superficial. Support is where you're living with them and you're with them in their lives. And the idea right. that so many people in Northern California were into the Grateful Dead. I early on had conversations with you about like, look, it's not that I grew up with this. It may seem in the beginning, like, you know, I'm not into it. I am into it. I'm here for you. Like, I want to know what's meaningful to you so I can be a part of that. And uh, this was very meaningful to you. And then, you know what? It ended up allowing me to connect with many other people in my community who was also very meaningful to them. I got to understand them on a deeper level. And uh, right. so there's some very special things that came out of it. A friend of mine this wrote a also- book called Grateful Running. <laughs> And it's all oh, really? euphemisms of Grateful Dead helping your running mantra. Grayson Kimball is his name. And I used okay. it when I ran the half marathon twice in San Francisco. Yeah. I used That's this book to create the yeah. Oh, <laughs> together they make a full marathon. It just it took many months. Uh, right, year, right. A couple of years apart. That's there. right. Um, so so a, a couple things of transition. One, this Hanukkah party was happening in San Francisco where the menorah was the Bill Graham menorah. Bill Graham was the producer of the Grateful Dead. And without Bill Graham, it's not clear that the Grateful Dead ever would have had anything like the career that they had. Uh, Jerry Garcia, it's thought, even though he didn't grow up raised as Jewish or with any Judaism in his life per se, uh, I I mean, and and I hate the idea that anybody looks Jewish because there's no look, but there is the notion that Jerry may have we, if we were to run his DNA, he might well have a lot of Jewish blood in him. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and he had an amazing Jewish girlfriend for a while who later on yeah. would come to our dinners. Uh, yeah. Really amazing. It's her story to tell. Maybe one day we'll have her tell it. But, you, you but know, uh, tell it. And this is San Francisco, right? Which is the home of the Grateful Dead. And I encourage you as a rabbi uh, building your community in San Francisco. I was like, You've got to be aware of being in San Francisco. That's going to be part of your mission is it's, it's Jewish people in San Francisco. It's all the people in San Francisco and what is San Francisco. And so that, and that, so that means ball games. I've brought you to a world series, San Francisco world series uh, at, at, at the park down, down the street, uh, soon very accessible by subway when the subway opens. Uh, and a, a Grateful Dead and Company show. I mean, nothing. San Francisco is the home of the Grateful Dead. It's where they lived. It's where they started. And their songs are are very much placed in the Bay Area, um, or sometimes placed adjacent to the Bay Area uh, on purpose. And uh, the, the music, a lot of their music, especially the song we're going to talk about, is a kind of American arcana, but. Uh, uh, an Americana kind of music, but relocated from the East and from the Southeast and from the Hills to the West and to the, I guess, foothills of Marin, um, you know, not Mount Diablo of the devil, but Mount Tam, uh, where the dead then moved to many of the members around that and in Marin, 
right here over there. Yep. And, uh, and so the Grateful Dead seems to me and embodies a lot of characteristics of Jews coming together to celebrate their light, that they are participating in this thing, that they are, they are the ceremony. You are the ceremony. You, you are the light and you light the light to say, I am the light. Okay, so you, you told me to check out the song Black Peter. And yeah, you I, don't and, like the and, title, do you? But I didn't understand the title. What does Black Peter mean? So, so again, a little bit like the cheekiness of Better Off Dead. I don't think anybody's better off dead. I think people are better off alive and thinking about the Grateful Dead. Black Peter, um, uh, it, nowhere in the song is the word black other than in the title. Okay? So the song is a cheekily chosen... And who knows if it was Jerry or his lyricist, Robert Hunter, who wrote the words. Um, who knows? Nobody really knows what black refers to there. I think, personally, it's an irony that is actually deflecting you from understanding that the song is not about a guy laying there dying, although it's, it definitely is about that because it says that's what it's about, but it's actually about a guy living still living till the last he's going to live till the last and how he wants to live and actually he's only black in the minds of the people who are around him to the extent that they want to see him as poor peter but peter himself the narrator the guy he's going to live all the way to the end it's about living his life he wants to live his life and he wants to live it in a particular way so actually, Black Peter has a sort of slow acoustic ballad of Western Americana written by the Grateful Dead in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, I, you know, I think it was, uh, it was first played live. It was recorded, you know, I think, like, I think it was literally right up the street recorded, um, you know, uh, in, in, on Hyde Street. But his first show was December 4th, 1969 at the Fillmore West. Uh, which is on Van Ness, uh, Van Ness and Van Ness and Market, and the, Bill Graham opened the Fillmore West and the Grateful Dead on December fourth, nineteen sixty nine. At least as far as we know, the records aren't total complete. Then um, that's the first performance of it, and I think it's about wanting to live your life in peace and wanting to live your life with your friends being around you and that anywhere can be a sacred space. Even the place that might well be your deathbed is a sacred spot because your friends come around and you share your life with them. And even if they are thinking, Oh, this is dark. The guy's dying. He's a, it's black Peter. No, in the song, the guy just wants to have a little peace to die. Knowing that but he's not dying care about yet. him. You know, you knowing that the people care about them. So let's you know, can we start in with some of the lyrics here? All of my friends, all of my friends, not just some of my friends, all of my friends come to see me last night. I was laying in my bed and dying. Now, he's laying in his bed and dying, but aren't we all laying in our bed at some point dying? We're also living you're, until you're dead. You're living. Right. Right. And in theory, and you could, with that perspective, you're always dying. So you could also say you're always living. Right. Yeah. Right. And what, but what we want to do is celebrate the living and, you know, and, and then 
a beautiful woman, when we think of beautiful woman, Annie Bonneau, from a totally made-up place, San Angel. And there is no San Angel. San Angel may be a combination of Los Angeles, Angel, where you are, and San Francisco come together. So it's a made-up place. And we don't know what, what, but what does Annie Bonneau say? The weather down here, so fine. And then, and I'm convinced that most Grateful Dead people who listen to the song and heard the song hundreds, if not thousands of times, don't understand the wonderful joking kind of irony. She says, hey, the weather down here is so fine. And just then the wind came squalling through the door. But who can the weather command? Because she's saying the weather down here is so fine. And all of a sudden it's squalling through the door. And that squalling is, I think, obviously metaphorical. It's life coming through your door. And what does the narrator want? He wants less of a squalling. He, he wants a little piece to die. Just want to have a little piece to die. And a friend or two I love at hand. This is what the narrator wants, right? Yep. This is so now... I, I, this is brought to mind to me such a powerful moment in Jewish history. This, okay. Okay. This brought to me like Jacob, our forefather, is on his deathbed, but he's still very yeah. much alive and he's in a good place. They're in a beautiful part of Egypt. Jacob and, Jacob and his brother Esau. Now, his brother yeah. Esau is not there. Right? They but had made up already. They had made up already. They already, like, you know, made the truce. He's, he's, he feels like, you know, this is the end. And his kids are all around him, his grandkids. It's this epic scene where everyone's together. And Joseph, his son, is there, who's the viceroy of Egypt. And Has Jacob already changed his name to Israel? His, his name is Israel, but, you know, the Torah oscillates between. And we know, based on the name that they use in the Torah, where he's holding. Because Jacob represents the journeyman struggler, and Israel represents the person who's reached the peak. Who's, right, who's, my who's, son is running is, uh, yeah. Egypt. And but right before he's the there, like this song, he sort of has a moment. He's like, will they remember me? Do they get what I lived for? Is there relationships? Like, did, this, did I make it? Or is now that I did this whole life and their life is good, are they just going to abandon all I work for? Maybe I've been eclipsed by my son. My son Joseph has gone off and had even more of a journeyman experience and wound yeah. up, as you said, as the viceroy. I mean, this is Jacob of the many colored dream coat. As Joseph, said, yeah, coat that that's son. right. That's so jo- that Jacob, Jacob had made this coat and given it to his son. And, um, and, and so I think it's about being remembered. I think it's about I think Jacob, Israel, uh, he is gathering up his life and his people and taking stock of where he is and how much yes. he has done. Yes. And, and he is, he is, he is in a way, God has allowed him, God has allowed him or he in conversation with God have, have come to the understanding that, yes, this has all been worthwhile. And yes, they will remember me. And there's a certain uh, reassurance that all of the people will now be the people of Israel. But he has a dark moment before that realization. Okay. okay? This is where the song cuts in. The okay, Black Peter yeah. moment. He has a dark moment where a black he doesn't Jacob know. Moment. Yeah, he, he, where God um, puts a veil over the future. And he can't, oh. and, and he can't tell them how it's all going to work out. 
how they're getting he get back to their home dreams. Run. I mean, yes, this is the guy who interpreted get, dreams and this well, is how he, he, he got gave that star, power. Right? To, he, yeah, he gave the power to interpret dreams to his son, and he gave them well, all. Yeah, he was he was doing it himself, right? So he while they're sitting, the angel. Yes, that's right. And he had the the wrestled with his brother's angel. He cl- had the dream of the of the first the dreamer was yeah. him. The latter. So he's sitting no, by he's his the bedside. First, the first interpreter of dreams. Everyone dreamed. The first great interpreter yes. of dreams who was able to meld the spiritualness of dreams with the reality of the world, that there's a connection between these two worlds. And, yeah, and, 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 and yeah, the and, black moment. And he basically, they veiled. see him, they see him, they see him in this moment. And the children all say to him, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Listen, our father, Israel. We know the God that was your God is it's our God. We've already taken on this journey. We're totally with you. And that's how he's able to really feel fulfilled in this moment. Isn't that the prayer of, of the, the Jewish prayer. people? I mean, it's the hero Israel. Here, here, here. here. You know, listen, here. Perceive. And I always perceive. And I, it's here and perceive. And I always feel like they're, you know, as translated into English. The here is beautiful at the first word because it's both here, like listen, like the actual act. That's why we're saying the prayer aloud. We all say the Shema when the Shema is called for. You don't silent Shema. You say, hero you Israel. Say Shema, that's you right. say it aloud. You say it aloud, a little bit like the lights being lit. You put those lights out there and let people see them. Yeah. But it's also here, like right here, like in the moment, like the presentness right. of here. You know, which in English resonates both as here and also here, here, here in San Francisco on this corner. Now, we don't do the Shema because the Shema is, as you know, that is there are moments when you do the Shema and when you do them, everyone does them. And almost all of them, I think, have to be somewhere near, you know, it's a it's it's a minion. Right. And uh, you need you need certain things you need. Shema is actually personal you're supposed to say it like when you wake up in the morning and when you go to sleep at night it's part of like the way we access like like our 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 intention for the day is through the shema like today shema means like shema israel you're telling your inner jew your inner jacob your inner israel you're saying listen up there's oneness everywhere tap into the harmony everywhere it's an incredible space like I, i i sometimes i think like maybe the original line was just Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, but the children added to it the incredible words of Shema Yisrael. And here's a good one, kind of like the song, if you listen on Spotify, it ends, a man could be as poor as me. But if you listen to him sing it on YouTube, he says, a man could be as strong as me. Yes, absolutely. And Jerry yeah. would Jerry <laughs> would, Jerry would roll those lyrics. Let's come back to the song a little bit. So the song kept going. So now all he wants is a friend or two, I love at hand. from all the friends, all of my friends, to just all I want is a friend or two I love at hand. And now the weathers come swallowing through the door. And what happens internally, I guess a little bit like Jacob with the veil, fever roll up to 105, roll on up, going to roll back down, which is very Sisyphean, you know, the myth of Sisyphus. But here again, he's not going to die from the fever. The fever is going to roll up. It's going to roll back down. Living is going to continue. One more day, I find myself alive. Tomorrow, maybe go beneath the ground. But the song 
as sung is celebrating that this guy Peter is still with us, that he's still here, and he's got his friends that he loves at hand. And Peter, I think, is the one then saying the next thing. He says, see here how everything. So for him, it's see. For the Shema, it's here. But both are in this moment. See here how everything lead up to this day. And it's just like any other day that's ever been. Sun going up and then the sun going down. Shine through my window. Right? And my friends, they come around. Come around, come around. And that's why I chose this song for us to discuss it because what do we do at the Hanukkah party? We shine a light through the window and the friends come around. And it shouldn't matter whether you're laying in your bed and dying or up and partying and dancing or whatever. And, and I think there's then also a certain kind of hesitancy around Peter uh, that he's overcoming. So he says, people may know, but the people don't care that a man could be as poor as me. And as you said, uh, and then it's in quotes. Here's what they're saying. Here's what the friends are saying now. Not hero Israel. Not Shema Israel. They're saying, take a look at poor Peter. He's lying in pain. Now let's go run and see. So they're going to look at what they think is a black Peter. Peter, a guy lying in his bed and dying. Run and see. Hey, hey, run and see. And what do they see? Peter is still living. Peter has friends at hand. Peter wants to live. Who knows? No one can command the weather. No one knows what the weather out there is fine or whatever. It's fine in here. Come on in. Be at hand. Let's be together. And we can do that anywhere. And so the title throws you off with the Black Peter. And and by the way, I think the dead themselves were thrown off by the title. They came to see it, I think, as a sad song and a kind of overwrought ballad. But the song was really written to be acoustic, small, a moment, a timeout moment, a timeless moment. Um, You know, it's a little bit like a song like Yesterday by the Beatles or Four and Twenty by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. It's It's a very, it's meant to be a very simple, acoustic, boiled down, heartfelt plea to let me live my life the way I want to live it. And the way I want to live it I don't care what the weather's doing. I want my friends to come and be with me. And I want the sun to shine through my window and to shine on me. And I want to shine back out my window to all of you and show you what I got. And I'm still alive. And that's all I'm asking for is a little peace. And that's peace to live as much as it is peace to die. I want that peace with my friends. I want that peace in my life. And I want to shine that peace out to the people in San Francisco who can see it by looking up. And even the lady across the street who called the cops on us, I want her to feel the peace that's emanating forth from us. That's what I want. Uh, I'm a little uh, like Peter. I I appreciate uh, the song now and and, uh, enjoyed going through this process because I really, I really think that ending note is is everything. What people always ask, like, what's the end goal? What are we doing this for? And understand that having peace, there's it's required all the parts that create the complications or relationships or the difficulties, challenges. Those are all part of what makes peace. You can't have peace without that. You can't say, I just want to be in peace. 
he could only say that after his friends see he's alive and they're together and say, I just want to find this harmony. Like, it can't be like, I'm going to live in peace and run away from life. You have to be totally present for that to happen. And also, and this is a really good point, is that peace is not the natural state of humanity and life on the planet. Peace is as an alternative to war. It's like in the Hanukkah story. Peace is what you're going to find after the oil has lasted, when you can step out of that temple that has been surrounded in the battle and the flames and the, you know, and the dying. Now, when you step out, what you want to step out into is peace. Peace is the alternative to war. There is no peace without there being war. If there weren't war, we wouldn't just be at peace. We, we would be in a struggle for life and we would be battling and we would, and we would do the best we can. But peace is something that we create as an alternative to war instead of. Yeah, Psalm 55, which I remember because there's a whole Chabad song around it, is all about peace through realizations and not through war. Like like the war doesn't actually have to happen for us to have peace, just a deep-seated realization that there's conflict and fragmentation and we need to bring it together. And that's the ultimate peace we're looking for in this world is without the battle, like this this inner call that says, I can bring peace to the world because actually I was built to make it. There isn't, and I'm an agent in this world to create moments of peace. And only until you see yourself as an agent of peace, like Jacob, our forefather, or this uh, figure, Black Peter, he's almost like he has this, it's not like he's desperate for friendship. He's calling, I want to be an agent of peace. I need to be seen as this is what this is about. This is the light I'm looking for. And uh, right, so- and the light I want to share, the light I want to give out, and and rather than battling someone, I, I, I'll battle myself. But the battle is to get the light out there. Well, I just want to say you are a conduit of peace and light, and uh, especially in my life and in my family's life, you introduced me to so many of my favorite people I met through you. And and it always means so much to me that you are the conduit of peace that I met in San Francisco so early on. And so many of the mitzvahs that I was able to accomplish came through through you. So you share some of the bounty of this goodwill and peace that's happened. So uh, I just really am thankful for our relationship and grateful for uh, for the experience. Yeah. That you've and, uh, given 40. me. I hope there's one of these every day, 40 days and, and, and 40 uh, podcasts, you know, to, yep. uh, to celebrate, to celebrate. And at the end, what do we think of as, so again, th- there's no dove if there's, if there's no flood, right? I mean, right. there is a dove, but the dove isn't going to have an olive branch in its mouth. What, what is the symbol of peace, the great symbol of peace in our world, regardless of your religion? It's the olive branch, right? The olive branch is, synonymous so i'm gonna let you wrap up here but just by saying this is like you know it may seem sometimes like you are on the ark and you are uh floating around and hoping that this flood will end but the story you know you know the story going into it which is yeah the dove is coming and it's gonna have an olive branch by the way the dove comes the first time it doesn't have a branch right he he sends the dove back out that's right (laughs) <laughs> mischievous little dove come back and show me what, what what we really got and the dove brings back an olive branch to show that something can now grow right something is not underwater It'd be hard right. for the dove to get that olive branch if it's submerged now it's there's at least one olive branch out there 
uh, one little, I wonder how a branch is the right word, but all olive leaf, olive, I don't know, olive whatever, olive twig or whatever. It can be small, but we want these symbols of peace. And you are on your ark, and you, you, there will be a dove, and there will be an olive branch. That, that it is growing out here, you know. Thank you. Um, thanks so much for coming on and uh, and sharing some of uh, the types of conversations we've had so many times over the years. Um, it's a pleasure. Says. Um, so thank you so much. And, uh, it's really meaningful to me to share the blessing that is Dave, uh, with the, with the community and the podcast. Happy birthday, uh, to you. Um, it's a pleasure. I, I wish that we were, I, the only thing I wish is that we could next time we could be in the same room when we do this. We don't have to be on this, uh, through the zoom, uh, interpreted through the lens of the zoom because, Done. you know, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to make it like, happen. We're going to make yeah, it happen. Yeah, you're right here. And we'll see you up here for Hanukkah, right? Yeah, and, and, get that, and get that Better Off Dead uh, podcast up and running so we could uh, listen I, to I, some I, of your wisdom. I, yeah, I, I have not yet covered Black Peter, but I have a lot more to say now, right? <laughs> All right. Amazing. All right, Love brother. you, brother. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye. <laughs>